Welcome to CCC's podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Velocity of Content. It's Friday, June 2nd, 2023. Today, as we do each week, we check in with Publishers Weekly on news for the world of books and publishing. Andrew Albanese, PW Senior Writer, joins me today from New York City. Welcome back to the program, Andrew. Hey there, Chris. So this week, the Association of American Publishers has released industry sales figures for 2022, and this final accounting shows publishers fared somewhat better than we had thought. Yeah, so we're six months into 2023, and we're still parsing data from last year. Uh, but that's always the case. And actually, we should point out that this year's final figures from the AAP are actually in, I think, earlier than in past years. So good job to the AAP stack keepers this year. And there is good news. Uh, the figures show that 2022 publishing sales, total publishing sales, were down just 2.6% compared to 2021. This versus the AAP's preliminary figures that were released in February, which showed a 6.4% decline from 2021. So that's a pretty big difference. And you might be asking, what's changed? Well, the biggest difference is the inclusion of sales in the pre-K-12 educational market segment. Those figures were not captured in the earlier presentation. And as it turns out, K-12 revenue jumped 16.6% in 2022, uh, making it the only category that had an increase over 2021 and a big enough increase to shave more than three points off of the gap that was reported earlier in February this year. As we often do, the AAP also drew a comparison in its announcement this week between uh, 2022 sales and 2019. 2019, of course, being the last year of sales before the pandemic. And they noted that while revenue did fall last year, sales still remained 6% higher uh, than the $25.87 billion that was recorded in 2019 which is probably, I would say, more than double where total industry sales would be under normal circumstances, given that publishing revenue typically grows between 1% and 2% annually in a good year. Indeed, Andrew, with the inclusion of the K-12 school market, the news does look better overall for publishers. But what do the revised sales figures tell us about trade sales? Yeah, so the news is not better for the two trade segments. Uh, in February, AAP had reported that sales of adult books fell 6.4% for 2022, and sales in the children's and YA category dropped 5.7%. But on the adult side, for the, the final figures, the numbers show that adult sales actually fell 7.1% from 2021, and children's and YA sales were down 6.5%. Now, there is a sliver of good news there, too, and that's fiction. Fiction continues its resurgence, and it actually was up a little bit in 2022, 0.6%. That's very modest, but in a tough market, you had to say that's a huge win. At least that's my opinion. I think the fact that fiction continues to show growth in a down market is an enormously positive sign. Uh, of course, that increase in fiction was also offset by a 13.2% drop in adult nonfiction sales, nonfiction, of course, being the largest segment. So I think it's safe to say at this point that the days of Trump books pushing nonfiction sales to new levels, well, that's kind of over, at least it's taking a break for now until the campaign season picks up or until all of these you know, grand juries and investigations and tr trials deliver something that authors and readers can pounce on once again. So that's maybe we'll see a resurgence later in the year this year and early next year. There's more good news, too, and that's that looking at the five-year sales that the AAP reported. Adult fiction sales were up 26.4% over the last five years. This is the 2018 to 2022 period. 
Now, our listeners may recall that for many years, we were watching and talking about on this program how fiction sales were in decline year after year. So it is a really positive trend for publishers. Uh, with fiction sales up last year, again, amid a down market, I do think it's a really good sign that the industry overall is in a better place. For whatever reason, whatever the pandemic did, the industry is in a better place than it was you know, just not too long ago. One other note I'll make on the digital front, audiobook sales in 2022 rose 2.6%. That's nice. Good to have a, a, a gain for sure, but that's the slowest growth in many years for audio. But I think that's because too that the segment has clearly matured. You can't post, you know, ten to twenty percent gains every year for more than a decade, which is what audio did. Eventually, it's gonna, you know, you're gonna you're gonna mature and you're gonna come back down to earth. But at now sales of I think one point eight one billion for audio, the format now accounts for ten percent of all trade sales. That is a huge figure that I don't think we could have imagined before this boom in digital audio happened. And in fact, it's now in the neighborhood of ebook sales. Ebooks hold a 10.8% market share, 10.8% to 10.4%. That's how close the two formats have gotten. And you have to wonder when digital audio will actually surpass ebooks because digital audio is still growing while ebook sales, once again, are falling. They were actually down 6.3% in 2022 Though we should point that ebooks actually ticked up about a tenth of a percentage point in terms of total market share because print sales softened a little in 2022. Okay, that's enough for me for now. You can read all about this on the PW site. My boss, Jim Millia, breaks it down all there. It's only he can do. Um, and, you know, look, we'll see where we are, you know, next year. So far, it looks like 2023 is going to be down slightly or maybe flat. At the very least, I think we're going to have a 2023 that's more in line with the the modest growth that we usually see in the publishing industry before the pandemic. PW released its fall announcements issue last week. I know this is always a favorite with you. Yes, you know we were off for Memorial Day weekend last weekend, but I'm happy to call this out now and note that yes, our fall preview issue came out last week. It's on the stands now. Usually it comes in mid-June, so it's earlier this year. We pushed it up this year to coincide with the just-concluded U.S. Book Show, which, which ran from May 22nd to May 25th. Uh, and that's because all of our reviews editors actually unveiled their top picks for the season for adult trade books during these live-streamed U.S. Book Show panels. Now, this issue, the announcements issue, is always a mammoth issue. We do two of them a year for spring and fall. So I just want to take this opportunity to shout out my colleagues on the review staff for doing an amazing job once again. You know, our editors pare down thousands of submissions. Uh, they make a list of notable books for fall and the winter in 13 categories, including you know, literary fiction and biographies and memoirs and thrillers and mysteries. Uh, there's poetry, politics, romance. There's genre fiction like fantasy horror. So 13 in total. It's a terrific list. Each has a top 10 list along with the long list uh, that we think are worthy of your attention. There's also actually a complete database that you can dive into. Uh, anyway, it's a great issue and it's a great resource. And whether you're a bookseller or a librarian or just looking for intel on what's going to be hot this fall, certainly you want to check this out if you're a reader and put some of these books on your list. And I'll say this too from experience, it's never too early to start your holiday shopping and publishers love pre-sales. And there's more to come too because our children's announcement issue is out on June 19th. And our comics and graphic novels announcements issues is set for June 26. So more to come on the announcements front. 
Also last week, Andrew, you broke news on a lawsuit brought in Arkansas seeking to protect the freedom to read in libraries and schools. Once again, as in an earlier Florida case, the plaintiffs include publishers, authors, and booksellers. Yeah, so news broke last week that some 17 plaintiffs, this includes the ALA's Freedom to Read Foundation, that's their First Amendment defense arm, uh, the Association of American Publishers, the American Booksellers Association, and the Authors Guild included, have all joined on to this federal lawsuit over a recently passed law in Arkansas. That law is known as Act 372 or SB 81. Uh, and you know, basically what that act does is expose librarians and possibly booksellers to criminal liability for making uh, books that are allegedly allegedly obscene available to minors. Uh, the law in question was signed by Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders on March 31st, it's set to take effect on August 1st. And, you know, among its troubling provisions, it does it, like I said, it removes an exemption from prosecution for school and public libraries, and it would empower virtually anyone to challenge the appropriateness of library materials in Arkansas. And it would extend liability to anyone that helps in the distribution of these materials. So that means that vendors and booksellers could also face troubles, uh, possibly criminal charges, for selling books to libraries and schools. Uh, under the law, library staff found to have knowingly distributed or facilitating distribution of this allegedly obscene material, which, by the way, is not very well defined uh, to a minor. And that minor is defined as anyone under the age of 18 uh, would be open to a potential felony charge. And I think this is pretty big news, news of this lawsuit. You know, it's I think it's the latest in this. What we're starting to see is an escalating legal offensive being waged, uh, counteroffensive, I guess we should say, being waged by freedom to read advocates in response to this ongoing surge in book bans and legislative free restrictions on the freedom to read nationwide. You know, there's a bunch of actions that we're monitoring. Uh, in February, for example, the ACLU joined with librarians in Missouri to file a federal lawsuit over a bill called Senate Bill 775. It's another school obscenity law. And opponents say that that, that bill is forcing librarians to censor their collections under the, under the threat of potential charges. Uh, in March, we talked about library advocates in Lino County who won an injunction to reinstate banned books at their local public library and to stop future bans while the case progresses with a federal judge there holding that the library board infringed the constitutional rights of library users by unilaterally removing books that it deemed inappropriate from library shelves. And I think here's the best news that we're starting to see here, and that's that the publishing community is in the game. You know, last month we talked about this, you know, major lawsuit filed by Penn America with Penguin Random House. They joined forces with a group of authors and parents to sue school administrators in Escambia County, Florida, over the removal of books from school libraries. You know, and finally we're seeing the AAP in this fight, too. The AAP, in fact, even joined the ALA's Unite Against Book Bans Coalition uh, just a few days ago. So I think there has clearly been a recognition. Something has clicked in the publisher community that it's time to act. It's time to really, you know, you know, get off the bench and get in the game here. And that is a, an extremely welcome development if, and this is a big if, freedom to read advocates and librarians tell me if this is part of a larger commitment by publishers to get in the game. What do these lawsuits tell you about the fight against book bans and the role of publishers in that fight? Yeah, so I think the impending suit in Arkansas really looms as a crucial test because, you know, these laws are popping up in so many places. You know, there's been similar library obscenity laws that have passed in other states this year, though some have even been vetoed, even by Republicans. In fact, in Idaho, 
where you know Republicans rule. Republican Governor Brad Little actually rejected their bill. It was HB 314. It was called the Children's School and Library Protection Act of 2023. And that would have actually empowered parents to seek $2,500 rewards from libraries for making supposedly inappropriate materials available to minors. And in his veto statement, Little said that the legislation would have imposed, and I'll quote him here, sweeping blanket assumptions on materials that could be determined as harmful to minors in a local library, and that it would have enforced uh, one interpretation of that phrase on all patrons of the library. What Little said about the law in Idaho, I think, applies to the laws that we're seeing in other states. And we should point out, too, that lawmakers in Texas last week passed a bill that I think might also wind up in the courts. This was House Bill 900. It now heads to Governor Greg Abbott's desk. He maybe even signed it today. Uh, that bill would regulate so-called sexually explicit books in schools and libraries. And this is the ratings bill. We talked about it earlier this year. This book would require publishers and vendors to come up with a rating system and assign ratings based on sexual content. And books that are you know, found to be sexually explicit would be taken out of libraries completely. Books with sexually relevant ratings would have to get parental permission first. And here's the kicker with this law. If the state disagrees with the rating the publisher has come up with, they can force the, the publisher to change the rating. So really, it's a state rating system. Um, so I, I think what we're seeing here is that legal actions are definitely going to be part of the arsenal. And they're certainly a big part of the arsenal at this moment in time. And I think these cases are going to succeed because I think that these laws are clearly un unconstitutional and do violate, as Freedom to Read advocates say, the First and Fourteenth Amendments. At the same time, and we talked about this at the U.S. Book Show and our Libraries Are Essential program, the battle is still being waged in our communities. It remains a political battle because you can't remove a book from a library shelf if it wasn't purchased in the first place. And that's what these organized groups on the right are doing right now. They are out there organized, looking to run and win local elections based up on this ginned up idea of there being pornography being you know, handed out in schools. And, you know, librarians and advocates need to rally and organize to defeat these efforts. And I think that's where publishers can really have a lot of, have a, have a big role here. Now I've heard, complaints over the last year plus about the lack of help from the publishing community. And I think that criticism is fair enough, but the publishers appear to be here now. And I firmly believe that no one will remember that the publishers were late to the game. If they show up now, show up effectively with resources and help freedom to read advocates succeed. So, you know, when I say whether or not the publishers have a larger commitment, that's what I mean. And that's what freedom to read advocates mean. They need these resources. They need money. They need help with their grassroots efforts. Because these people, these librarians and booksellers on the front lines are the ones that are really out there fighting for the freedom to read for all of us. Uh, we all need to be out there supporting them. And, of course, the publishers as much as anyone, because this is core to their business. And more to the point, it's core to the liberal democracy that supports us all. So, I, you know, let's see what happens in the coming weeks and years. These lawsuits are a great sign, but there's a lot of work left to do to preserve the freedom to read. Andrew Albanese, Publishers Weekly Senior Writer, thanks for joining me on the program with your reporting and editorial analysis. My pleasure, as always. Coming up on CCC's podcast, a recent CCC town hall shared best practices for developing research data that is fair through culture, training, and technology. The discussion also detailed how fair data saves lives, saves money, and drives confidence in science. 
The LinkedIn Live special event on May 10th included George Strawn, a scholar at the U.S. National Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine, who served as CIO with the National Science Foundation from 2003 to 2009. Strawn joined the roundtable discussion with reflections on a half-century of Internet evolution and the transformative role of fair data in the future. The first wonderful step was computers themselves. The second equally important step has been the Internet age of interconnected computers. I think FAIR is ushering in the third phase of information technology, which is interoperable data as well as interconnected computers. Uh, If we think of the revolution in proteomics and genomics and in astronomy, these three uh, breakthroughs have happened because of FAIR data, even though we didn't call it FAIR at that time. I'm convinced there are there are untold additional breakthroughs of those magnitudes that will be available uh, with, uh, uh, with with the progress that my colleagues have just described as we are moving forward to fully implement this third phase of information technology, interoperable data. Making research data fair. Next on Velocity of Content. That's all for now. Our producer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. You can subscribe to the program wherever you go for podcasts, and please do follow us on Twitter and on Facebook. You can also find Velocity of Content on YouTube as part of the CCC channel. I'm Christopher Keneally. Thanks for listening. 